Hi, I'm Matthew Biryapa, and from KOSU, this is Songwriters and Tour Writers. On this episode is composer and producer Kit Wakeley. His latest album, Symphony of Sinners and Saints, combines his love of rock, orchestras, and electronic music. The album brings together talents from across the world, like Joe Satriani, Andy Timmons, and the Royal Philharmonic. I'm all over the world. And I can tell you, people from Oklahoma are just so amazing. And he recorded it remotely at the historic Abbey Road Studios in London. We talk about what that process was like, how he has navigated his career since his start in grunge cover bands in Oklahoma, and how, after 40 years, he recently rediscovered his sister. My name's Kit Wakely. I'm, uh, I've been a resident of Edmond, Oklahoma for, gosh, almost 20 years now. So uh, up until COVID, I was doing a lot of traveling, but uh, Edmond's pretty much the home base. Yeah, you know, looking at like uh, this newest album, uh, Sinners and Saints, and your, your previous album, it sounds like kind of an international uh, outfit that you bring together. Yeah, um, you know, when you start working with, you know, orchestras like before in Macedonia, where you start working with the, the London Philharmonic or something like that, Royal Philharmonic, um, there's a lot of uh, chit-chat across the, the pond, so to speak, with internet, emails, you know, Zoom calls, etc. Yeah, so uh, I'm assuming that, like, for the one where you worked heavily with, like, a Macedonian orchestra, you were traveling to to Eastern Europe a lot. Yes, yes, we'd go to or we'd go to Skopje, a beautiful, beautiful city, and uh, we'd sit in the recording sessions there and uh, just be in awe of all the projects they work on besides your own, which makes you feel like you have some street cred. So, uh, what was it like trying to re- record uh, with you know another international orchestra, but during the age of COVID, where traveling was heavily restricted? Well. Working with the Royal Philharmonic and Abbey Road and things of that nature, as far as this newest album, we learned a lot about technology, um, you know, what we can and can't do. And it's amazing. Uh, so, you know, English is not a barrier. Um, you know, the understanding of love of, of that kind of music is really, really uh, popular over there. Um, so I feel like it was a very smooth process. It was just more of mental gymnastics of making sure I was working with the conductor and the, the engineer, et cetera, and having that technology at my disposal. Yeah. Did you get a chance to, to get to Abbey Road at all? I've been to Abbey Road before, but for this session, no. And we've already started planning the next. So we're, we're really looking forward to going over there as soon as COVID resolves itself. How does a Zoom call exactly work, I guess, when you're trying to like work with an orchestra? Sure. So most of your meetings are done via Zoom. Um, you're, all you're doing is, you know, they've got their information and I've got mine. We're going back and forth and we're just, got, you know, we're having conversations. But when it comes to the actual recording, uh, Abby has a technology so that when they start to record it, you know, 10 a.m. that morning, which is, you know, six hours later than us, um, I turn on a screen um, and they have 
different monitor views. And if I click one monitor, that means I'm speaking to the orchestra. If I click another one, I'm speaking into the uh, conductor's headset or another to the engineering room. And then I get to see, see everything taking place live on a Pro Tool session. And it is so uh, forensic and accurate that, I mean, I can literally go, go back to this point in the track or in, it's flawless. I'm really impressed with what Abbey Road does. Plus they have like five engineers in your engineering booth. So they're not going to miss anything. With this album and your previous album, it's like a very electronic sound. But when you were starting your career, it sounded like you were much more into like, you know, the, the straight kind of rock and roll bands that played bars around town. What, what were the kind of bands that were you playing in? 99% of them were just, you know, rock or pop. I mean, I've, I've done everything from play the, you know, the, you know, kind of the bubblegum pop, you know, where you've got to have it all ready to go for a high school prom or particular uh, clubs. And then I've had, you know, the, the rock, um, whatever that mainstream rock was at that time. Um, and um, that's pretty much the two primary components uh, that I would have to do live uh, with other bands. Yeah, you know, can you give an example of like what the type of music you'd be playing like near the beginning of your career? Oh my gosh, that's almost embarrassing. Lots of, uh, you know, because of the transitions and in time of what people like, you know, we did the a lot of the, you know, oh my gosh, Nirvanas and, and um, you know, Pearl Jams and bands from that era, the, a lot of the the bands, I don't even remember their names anymore because they were just, you know, like just quick, real quick flashes in the pan. And then, of course, there were the people that still wanted to hear that glam rock. So we were having to cover a Pearl Jam song right after that, play something from Poison or, or Motley Crue or whatever. And then I think that the music started to kind of, you know, get pretty, pretty tame after that. And the cool thing about looking back is I took for granted what those people are doing. And now that you listen to music experts, I really didn't realize just how talented someone like Kurt Cobain was. You know, a lot of times we think that they're just playing three chords and I've had it broken down for me in theory and I'm just in awe. I'm so happy cause today from my friends are in my head. I'm so ugly. That's okay. And because those things I didn't even know I was learning, that's what I inadvertently bring to this music that I do now without even thinking about it. You know, I just don't think we always understand what we're here uh, and some of the genius behind it. And, you know, from that point to, like, the music that you're making now, does, when you look back at that, does it just feel like a natural progression of sound? You know, it really is. Um, you just get exposed to so much stuff, you know. Uh, and what I mean by that is when you're playing a lot of pop, I mean, and then you're playing rock, there's just slight, slight different elements that 
appeal to the ear. And, um, you know, another step in that, tra- you know, that transition, I, I'll never forget, we were playing a club. And for whatever reason, we were having to wait for the sound man. Something was not going right. And it wasn't an awkward thing. But we're just on stage and they're playing this electronica. And it was just wicked cool. And so just to keep it from looking any more awkward, we um, we just started playing with it. And our guitars was just going to town. And it just sounded so cool. So then I'm like, okay, I got to get into some more of this EDM. I liked it a lot, but I'm like, man, now I'm missing the guitar and the, you know, then you start hearing people like Tommy Lee do their magic. And then, you know, it just, yeah, each, there's a layer added all the time. Yeah. So, um, going from like instruments to electronica, um, to what you do now, like where does a song even like kind of start for you? Is it picking up a guitar or is it playing the piano? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, sometimes it's just me when, um, you know, my, my my cell phone is filled full of voice memos of song ideas that I have. You know, if I'm at the gym and I hear a cool beat, I'm going to I'm going to make note of that beat um, or progression. Sometimes there's a new chord progression I haven't heard. And I mean, the weekend right now is doing some really cool progressions uh, that haven't been really touched on in a while. So I just hear progressions. I hear beats or whatever. I, I make note of them. And what I purposely do is say, okay, if that vibe sounds good, what would happen if we add a little heavier guitar? Okay, so now what would happen if if we kind of added that, you know, what, what happens if we just add a, you know, a little bit of brass to nasty it up? You know, the goal is to step back from that and go, okay, does it still sound cool to the regular secular, you know, market? But would someone from an orchestral background go, oh, wow, nice string run. You know, I like those arpeggiations, how you, you mixed them in. So it's a process for sure. For example, I always thought one of the coolest progressions was, because um, you don't hear it very often, uh, Creep. But I'm a I mean, it's just got a an awesome chord progression. And I flirted with that and went, you know, well, what if I just take it this direction? So now I'm just, I'm not even the, in the realm of what uh, Creep was. Or I might start out with a drum beat that I really thought was cool with a, you know, an EDM beat under it. And by the time I'm done, I've, ch- I've changed so much. Every song has an Easter egg in it. And what I mean by that is, for example, my drummer uh, called me up. He said, wait a minute, I'm listening to these tracks. And he said, you threw in a Tommy Lee feel from um, Wildside. I'm like, you caught that? He goes, yeah, I caught it. And then someone else has went, is that an element from, oh, my God, is that, that's not from Elf, is it? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's one of my, you know, I, I like that vibe of that. Now, if you listen to the the riff that I did or the little element that I did that sounds like Elf, it's not even close. But every song has those Easter eggs. So like if you were to hear Echoes of Amadeus on this album, 
and then go listen to, believe it or not, an oldie but a goodie, uh, cheese bag song of uh, Rock Me on the Dais. You would think it's the same song, but then you go back and you compare it, they're nothing alike. So every song I have, there's some kind of Easter egg in there that from one of my favorite tunes. A lot of words have been used to describe your sound like, you know, epic and, and cinematic. So how do you go about making a song that, you know, it's kind of just you have a chord progression in mind. How do you add those elements in that kind of make it epic? I feel like epic music touches the emotional senses in some way. If you think about, I mean, the most obvious example for a lot of people is, is Rocky. I mean, who doesn't want to go, you know, who doesn't feel inspired after listening to that? Um, but you listen to a lot of Hans Zimmer, a lot of these big movie scores from John Williams, and they touch an element of your emotion. Sometimes it might even evoke tears. So when I do a, a song, um, when I write it, I am constantly doing calls and responses between instruments. I'm constantly, you know, um, you know, filling in space with complementary, you know, uh, sounds or harmonies. And so, for example, one of the things I'll do if I was really trying to go for something big and dark, I will put it on the biggest speakers and I, I can and find out, you know, does that move me? Uh, does it create that? uh-oh factor or if i'm trying to create let's take the like the satriani tune of conflicted before i did anything with that i, I took the demos with me and did it jazz me you know when i was working out did it pump me up that was i if it did great if it didn't okay what am i missing or i'll dump that over a youtube video and go did it change the vibe of that youtube video you know the biggest thing is if i want to create a big epic sound I'm doing everything I can to emulate that and I'll drop it into YouTube videos or, or something. If I want to get that, you know, energetic motivational vibe, then I'll put it, you know, uh, I'll take it to the gym. I've taken the more, you know, dramatic songs, you know, the piano ridden strings. I'll put that with, you know, a Sarah McLaughlin commercial. I don't know. I, I just try to test it out that way to see if I'm still capturing the mood. Yeah. Just to see if like, it's combining with the the energy that you already know kind of exists with like exercise or just beautiful imagery. So when you're you're composing these songs, are you thinking about like images or um, you know cinematic is a word that's been used to describe your sound? Uh, are you thinking of like scenes in a movie? Uh, absolutely. Um, but sometimes it's it's almost the opposite like, I was recently reunited with my sister uh, after 30 years. We were separated uh, during an adoption process. And so when I wanted to write a song just for her on this album, it's called Hello Again. I knew I was going for that dramatic feel, et cetera. But again, I just kind of try to visualize in a feel Am I, am I evoking a, a, an emotional response for people to just kind of take pause? Um, so I do do that. 
I do feel visuals. I think that's the other thing is when you write a song, you've really done a well, a good job if you've made the listener create their own visuals in their head. And so sometimes it's just me seeing it and feeling it. Um, and like say, putting it against a, a, some kind of video is merely just a kind of a litmus test. You know, I, I'd love for you to talk about uh, that that experience uh, reuniting with your sister because um, wasn't it more than, you know, 30 years that you hadn't seen each other? Yeah, so we were separated. Um, we were at a foster home, just to kind of give you quick and dirty, we had a foster home and um, she was um, half African-American and I was uh, white. And, I, you know, we can only assume that they couldn't get us adopted by a single family because of the racial uh, difference. And so we were separated. We went through a, a, a lot of very, very difficult hardships that, you know, that aren't easy to talk about. So, um, and we depended on each other to get through that. So I guess that's what uh, propelled us to um, always look for each other. And in the process of all these years looking for each other, I, 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 I can't tell you all the research I did and I paid uh, private investigators and, you know, we just, we got to a point about three years ago that I was told that she was killed in a car wreck. And she was actually killed in the car wreck the day that we were split up, which made a lot of sense because there's, you know, Oklahoma is only so big. I was very active in everything I did, so surely I ran into this person at some point in my life. And then it was, uh, you know, about two years ago, I get this strange message saying, I'm, you know, I'm your sister, et cetera, on Facebook Messenger. And I'm just like, well, sorry to tell you, but, um, you know, my sister was killed at this point, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I'm very much alive. And she was persistent and turned out that she knew details. I didn't need a DNA test. There's no way anyone else could know what her and I went through, but her and I, or what she did or what I did. And I'm just like, this is amazing. So here I have been looking all over Oklahoma. Sometimes I thought she might be in Tennessee or Texas during my search. And it turns out she was within a mile of where I lived for the past 15 years. So remember when I said that uh, we might be crossing paths? Well, after that, now we see each other in the pharmacy, in the restaurants, in the grocery store. We've been crossing each other's paths for years and had no idea of the other. And so it, it's a, a pretty unique serendipity between a brother and sister. Because of COVID, we haven't been able to see each other as much as we'd like. But regardless, every night for two years, uh, she texts me goodnight or I text her, or we talk in some capacity every day for the past two years. Coming up next, K-1. 
Kit talks more about being from Oklahoma and trying to make a living making music for commercials. He also goes into why the album is called Symphony of Sinners and Saints. That after this break. Focus Black Oklahoma is a news and public affairs program covering various topics relevant to the black community statewide. You can hear our program on demand for free at kosu.org. FBO is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, NPR One, and NPR.org. Please download, subscribe, and listen. I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, some of those early, like, kind of things that jump-started your career, like, what was it like getting like a first gig to just write a jingle for the radio? You know, I was doing, um, I was in cover bands and doing our own thing as far as originals. And um, I like to take, you know, when you hear something really cool in a song and it's, it can run the gamut, you start to tinker with it. And, um, you know, this has been so many years ago. I don't you know. It's, been way too many years ago but one day uh someone came to me and said i really like the intro that you guys did for your album and I, by the way i don't even have that album around anymore when we're tired, but he said you know can i can i use it at the ou basketball game and i'm like sure and then next thing i know i was talking to somebody else about doing some highlight reels and it just kept growing from there um you know it even even uh you know there's sports talk show host Jim Traber he liked one of my tunes and had it as his opening music forever um and like I said I get these calls hey kid would you mind doing this this or that would you do my commercial and um again it's kind of like everything else we talked about just over time stuff just kind of you know evolves uh and you you think wow wait a minute how did I get here yeah was that stuff like um creatively satisfying at the time um, a lot of it was uh i went down a path where i was doing music for i mean you name it uh, my wife could tell you where i'm sitting up at uh and i do not do this anymore but i'm up at four in the morning trying to meet a deadline for a pampers commercial or the outback bowl or and the thing is it pays so little but you're on demand all the time you know you know two hours notice 24 hours notice uh, then uh, it, it, that's fun as far as some of the creativity. And then there's the boring part, you know, when you get, Hey, we need 12 beds or cues for a reality show. We need it to have kind of a TikTok, you know, times of the essence, um, you know, and all you're doing is, I mean, you're not doing much musically creative and you can't, you want to be creative, but it's not about you. It's about the scene. And it doesn't, like I said, doesn't pay. Uh, so I navigated away from that and just thought, you know what, I'm just going to focus on, and that's how I got to producing other people's music. And uh, uh, it pays better, uh, more satisfying, and then it allows me to concentrate on my music. Now, as, as we've talked more and more, uh, your accent is like kind of a thing that I've picked up on. Like I've, I've grown up in Oklahoma all my life, and like it's, it's a very <laughs> familiar accent. But, but I'm kind of wondering if like, is it something that people bring up a lot about you being from Oklahoma, working with like uh, international orchestras and, you know, doing a sound that a lot of people don't associate with Oklahoma. People think about, you know, that 
red dirt, full country kind of thing? So I can't stand people who aren't humble. And so I hope nothing I say comes across as counter to that. It's, it is actually, sometimes it can be flattering because what I'll get is I'll be in LA or some kind of pitch session. And I always enjoy the fact that I just watch them like they've listened to the music, right? And they'll like put down, you know, whatever the papers they had in hand and just looked at me like, what the hell are you doing in Oklahoma? You know? And I just kind of smile. And because I think that once they hear the music and they get five minutes with you, you're okay. The downside is the Southern accent. Um, you're right. Uh, it, it, unfortunately it gives you you have to earn your street cred um sometimes people don't want to talk to you i had a hard time finding a good pr company for a while um because they just didn't take me seriously um but then you get the people who have the the mentality that southern uh people from the south are much more sincere Uh, i don't know whether you say honest maybe um but the disposition is just more whole um and people, I feel like most people lock on to that. But then there's other times um, with like the Royal Philharmonic, they were all excited. They wanted to tell me hello. So here you have, this was just the string section, by the way. This is, you know, 47 strings. They go, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. And then, howdy. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I said, well, I appreciate that. But we don't say that here. <laughs> So we had a good laugh about it. So I don't know how much of that addresses it, but A, it's a curse. Um, but B, I'm, you know, I'm proud of my Oklahoma heritage. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'm all over the world. And I can tell you, people from Oklahoma are just so amazing. And I'm going to have to throw in, you know, the similar vibe from Texas and Arkansas and, and Kansas. Um, it's a different vibe. You know, you, you mentioned his name earlier. Um, and I would be kicking myself if I didn't mention uh, uh, Satriani, working with like a legendary guitarist like that. Like, how did that even come about? You know, um, I emailed him and uh, I have a friend of mine. I, I'm, 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 I'm a, a voting member, excuse me, of the Grammys. And so I talk with a lot of different people who have a lot more experience than I do with bigger, better resumes. And, and I just... One of my buddies was like, Kit, just start start down the list of who all you would like to have on your album and call them. And I'm like, I can't do that. And he's like, why not? And I kept saying, but you, who's going to call up? And there was a list of people. And he said, I can promise you, every one of them will want to play on your, your album the second they hear the music. And I just, I couldn't fathom it. So I emailed very well-known artist of Joe's caliber on their respective instruments and things of that nature. Um, I actually emailed probably 20, but five or six of them responded with absolutely. Joe said, yes, uh, he enjoyed the project enough that we've already done three more songs for the next project. Joe being so gracious opened up a whole lot more doors of other artists who want to play on my project. Andy Timmons being one of his best friends ended up being on the project as well. Can you talk a little bit more about just what was it like getting his um, his tracks back, maybe? Like, what was your reaction to, like, this is a real thing. I'm working with Joe Satriani. <laughs> yeah, I mean, two or three things. 
one, I was just, I was enamored with his take on things. Um, I was just in awe. His, his technique is so clean. It's immaculate. And then a lot of people are mechanical and can, can, can play. Hey, great. Yeah. But he's creative as well. And he knows music theory and he knows. So when I was listening to it, I'm like, oh my gosh, he played that. He played when he needed to play. He got out of the way of the orchestra when they needed to say something. And, you know, I mean, I, the very first time I listened to it was conflicted and going, he nailed it. How, how many people do that? And yeah, it's, this is Joe Satriani's scream on the, on the guitar. This is his, his trademark, you know, riff right here. I think my thing was it was affirmation. Joe was very complimentary of my music. He treated me as an equal. He wanted my input. He would ask almost similar questions that you did. Uh, an amazing guy. Forget the fact he's Joe Satriani. He's just an amazing guy. Working with like so many different musicians, like what is that process like? Are you are you giving everyone like I don't know sheet music saying like you know, here's my idea for playing this and that for like each individual kind of like instrument or section? If it's if it's the band portion, like the rock band portion, drums, guitar, bass, um, you know, I write that, I put it together. I'm a terrible guitar player, but I get it in there enough and mix it in, you know, very mixed enough that the, you know, the vibe is there. Same with, thing with bass and drums. And so most people would listen to that and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that sounds good. Um, but then you have someone like Brent Berry, my drummer, who comes in and, and oh, my God. Um, so he comes in and plays everything I did, but he adds all those other elements and, you know, what a real drummer should be doing. Same thing with Ryan um, Miller, the drummer, the bass player. And uh, so, for example, with Joe, you know, to be more specific, or Andy Timmons or something like that. I, I write the rhythm. I I write what I feel like should be the highlights of a solo and, and just say, now, it's yours to do whatever you want. And then we just kind of go back and forth of what I like and don't like. Um, you know, and that's pretty much all phone calls, video calls. Um, and it's really not that difficult. As far as orchestral, it's, I, that's more time consuming, but easier. Just send the sheet music. You go over it with your conductor or the instrumentalist and um, get clarification of some of the vibes that you had or anticipated. It's uh, everyone's different, but um, I'm blessed that the people I work with are very humble, very easy to get along with. I like it when other people can bring in their color. So if I have a riff that I really like, I want it played that way but I want you to put your own little polish on it because if it's just from one um, 
from one perspective, from one lens, it, the music's not going to have as much color, it's not going to be as deep. I mean, think about, um, I don't know how much you know about Van Halen, but, you know, David Lee Roth was in love with disco music, not rock music. <laughs> I mean, would Van Halen be of what they were if David Lee Roth just liked hard rock music? Um, and Alex was into every crazy jazz drummer out there. And Eddie was just into some really esoteric guitar, you know, guitars. So when you think about all those colors coming together to form what was Van Halen, would it be that if we just did, if just Eddie dictated everyone to what they were going to play? And then I guess like the, the electronic component to a, a lot of your songs, is that just purely you uh, messing around with sounds? Yeah, I like, I mean, it's just ear candy. Um, it just, I'm not trying to please the audience at all. I mean, I write for me and I hope everyone likes it. But there's that element of, if you like some EDM in there, I can, I can maybe appeal to you for a few seconds of the song or, or rock or orchestral or piano or whatever. But I, I just always loved I just feel like electronica brings a just a whole different little level of mood and and uh, a sizzle to a song. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you know anybody who is you know of the the festival goer type you know understands like the energy level that happens when you're listening to like you know electronic music even in a live setting. Oh, I know, and, and I think that that's. I kind of the punchline that I do a poor job of telling is I, I was never a big orchestra guy, but if you've ever, you, you can't deny the fact that an orchestra can just hit you hard during the movie. They can just evoke emotion. And let's face it, when you're at a basketball or football game, you're down by two points. They're not playing, um, you know, nothing against it, but they're not playing country or hip hop. They're playing a rock you know, it's it's going to be a rock song that's punching you in the gut to get you up and going. And so now to add that, that element of the EDM, of what it can do to your emotions and get you, you know, just, you know, you're, you know, on, on, on the edge of your seat, add those three elements, three most powerful elements of music all in one. Maybe it's a little overload, I don't know, but that's, that's why I like those three. Those three can be the biggest mood changers in music for, for a person. are you pretty excited then to like um being able to perform this stuff live soon yeah i'm really excited uh the production 
just takes production like $125,000 production. <laughs> so it's going to be a little over the top. Um, lots of lights, lots of video, lots of effects, all very much accentuated with the music to, you know, if, if the, if the boyfriend really doesn't want to go, you know, watch an orchestra or orchestral players, we're going to try a little bit of vibe this time. Um, that's okay. He can be entertained by the, by the rest of it or the, the girlfriend really doesn't like a, a guitar jumping all over stage, just screaming out, you know, riffs, then she can watch the lights or whatever. I think this will be the kind of last topic I want to hit is why the name, uh, you know, Symphony of Sinners and Saints? Oh, wow. Um, our entire life is Sinners and Saints, isn't it? I mean, yin and yang, fire and ice. Uh, I've just worked with so many orchestras and rock bands. That was one of the first places I noticed that, um, you know, I just feel like orchestral players are so well educated. They know their instruments so well, music and so many things that so many of us aren't as familiar with, you know, uh, they're just more cultured, more sophisticated. And, you know, even when you show up to rehearsal or recording or performance, whatever it is, they're there first, they're set up, they got, and then, you know, here comes the guys and there's that look of, well, who's the guy in a Slayer t-shirt, you know? And there's this, there's this uh, standoffish nature, like who the hell and well, who do you? And, but if you just have the saints, as in this, you know, the orchestra, and then you have my centers, who are the band. But the, the cool thing is by the end of the night, day, recession, whatever it is, they're all hanging out. They're all appreciating each other. They've got new friendships. And so there's this symphonic, you know, nature of the Sinners and Saints. And then once I locked onto that, I trademarked it and said, this is what it's going to be for now on. Preferably, I would I don't want it to be called Kit Wakely and the Symphony of Sinners and Saints. I just want it to be Symphony of Sinners and Saints. Yeah, yeah. Just have the project stand up more on its own and kind of bigger than yourself. And it is bigger than myself. I feel guilty when we have these big shows and everyone's like, oh, Kit, you're so amazing. I'm like, well, you know that guy back there he spent two months programming the show and these guys are better at their instruments than I am. And, you know, <laughs> it's like I was one small element to what you think is great. Again, that was Kit Wakely. His album is called Symphony of Sinners and Saints. Find out more about him at KOSU.org. There you can also find a full list of the songs that were played in this episode. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy, and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa.